Everyone, welcome again to Grace Bible Church Gainesville, Lord's Day service for December 10th, 2023. And again, it's always an honor to be able to open and share God's Word with all of you. Most of you know I've been preaching through the Psalms over this past year, and last time I, we, I began to walk through Psalm 22, and we are going to get back to Psalm 22, but it'll have to be after the new year because today I would like to switch to the New Testament and begin our messages that are focused on Christmas. We are only, again, two weeks away from Christmas, so we'd like to focus in on Christmas for the next couple of weeks. And today I'd, look, I'd like to look at a part of the Christmas story that, that we can overlook. Because we can, we can read this part of the Christmas story and we can miss a few of the hidden treasures that are found in there. And so today I would like to have us look at something that can, again, be overlooked at Christmas, and that's the humbleness of Christmas. The humbleness of Christmas. And what we'll do today is we're going to look at two women this morning, uh, two different women, but also very similar women. We're going to be looking at Elizabeth and Mary, two pregnant women, two miracle mothers. One is old, has been married for many years, but she's childless and barren. The other is young, she's never been married, and she's a virgin. One in her 60s and 70s and the other in her early teens. And what's interesting about these two are is that they're relatives and they've both been chosen by God to be the human instruments for the birth of two very, very important men. Because one is John the Baptist, uh, the greatest prophet that ever lived up until his time, and then the other is, of course, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God, and the Savior of the world. And both Elizabeth and Mary were very humble women, very ordinary. They had no social or economic standing. Again, two pregnant women and two miracle mothers. So let's take a closer look at these two women and the humbleness of Christmas. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1. And we'll look at Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45, primarily today. And again, we can jump over this part of the Christmas story. We, can, we want to kind of go right to chapter 2 of Luke and see the wonderful birth of our Lord. But in Luke chapter 1, this is the setup to Christmas. Luke chapter 1 will point us to Luke chapter 2 and the birth of our Lord. And so let's read Luke chapter 1 in verses 39 through 45. Luke 1 beginning at verse 39. And God's holy word reads, Now at this time... Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judea and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what the Lord had spoken to her by the Lord. And there ends the reading of God's holy word. And, and let's go to the Lord and have him bless our time in his word this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word, and we are also so very grateful for you. And as Lord, as we move closer to Christmas, it reminds us how thankful we are for you sending your son into this world, that he would be born of a virgin. And Lord, it's only you that could have done this amazing plan to send us a Savior like this. We ask that you forgive me my shortcomings and use me, Father, as an instrument for your glory. Preach a better message than I have prepared. We ask that the Holy Spirit be our teacher and guide today as we look at your word. We ask all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Again, the humbleness of Christmas. So as we walk through Luke one thirty-nine through 45, we're going to see again these, these very different but also similar women, Elizabeth and Mary. And what we'll see today is three ways in which Elizabeth will inspire Mary. 
three ways in which Elizabeth will inspire Mary. And the first way in verses 39 through 41, we'll see Elizabeth, we'll see her faith strengthen Mary's faith. Elizabeth's faith will strengthen Mary's faith. And the second way in verse 42, we'll see Elizabeth's joy fortify Mary's joy. Elizabeth's joy fortifies Mary's joy. And then the third way in verses 43 through 45, we'll see Elizabeth's humbleness encourage Mary's humbleness. Elizabeth's humbleness encouraged Mary humbleness. So two women, both chosen by God to be the human instruments for the birth of two very, very important men. And this is the beginning of the Christmas story. And as we read this wonderful account, we'll see how Elizabeth inspired Mary through her faith, through her joy, and through her humbleness. So let's dive into this somewhat and sometimes overlooked part of the Christmas story. First, Elizabeth's faith strengthens Mary's faith. Verse is verses 39 through 41. And let's look at verse 39. It says, Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judea. So, now at this time, so what time? What's going on in Mary's life? Why is she in a hurry to see Elizabeth? Well, for the whole picture of what's going on, we need to we need to look back here in the in chapter 1 of Luke and get the full picture. So let's take a quick look. Let's look back at what's going on in the life of these two women. And if you would, let's just look back at verses 5 through 38 here in Luke chapter 1. And let's first look at what's going on in the life of Elizabeth at this time. And so looking back here in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5, here's what's happening in the life of Elizabeth. Look at the beginning of verse 5. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea. So in the days of Herod, when Herod was king of Judea, history tells us was 37 to 4 B.C. So what happens next takes place sometime around 6 to 4 B.C. And then verse 5 goes on. It says, There was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And in the Hebrew, the name Zechariah means Yahweh has remembered which is interesting because of what's coming up next. And we find out that Zechariah was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, which means that he was of the line of priests, which was started way back when, by King David. And what King David did was he divided the descendants of Levi into smaller divisions so that each family member would have an equal opportunity to minister in the temple. And so they're divided up into groups, and these priests would serve in shifts, to work in the temple in Jerusalem twice a year from Sabbath to Sabbath. And then verse 5 ends with, And he had a wife and from, the da- uh, from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So here we meet Elizabeth. We find out also that Elizabeth is from the priestly line of Aaron. And now verse 6, it says, Now they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and righteous requirements of the Lord. So both Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eye. They both were righteous in the sight of God. Verse 7 says, But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. Why? Well, it says because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. Why? Well, it said that both were righteous in the sight of God, so it wasn't because of any sin that Elizabeth couldn't have children. So why then? Well, we're going to find out why because God has a special plan for her. And when it says they were both advanced in, in years, so they were both very old, most likely in their 60s and 70s at this time. Verse 8 says, Now it happened that while he, that's Zechariah, was performing his priestly service before God in the order of his division, verse 9, according to the customs of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. So because Again, there were so many priests at this time that the privilege of any one priest having the honor to burn the incense in the holy place, it was, it was very, very rare. In fact, it might only happen once in a lifetime, if at all. And so again, because there were so many priests, they had to cast lots to see who would have a chance to burn these incense. But here it does land on Zechariah, and so he's the priest who's chosen to get to burn the incense in the temple. And then verse 10 says, And the whole multitude of people were praying outside the hour of the incense offering. 
So as Zechariah is inside burning incense to the Lord, outside there's a multitude of people that are praying to the Lord, and the priest taught that the smoke from the altar made the prayers of the people rise up to God. And so while Zechariah is doing this, we have verse 11. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Remember, it's on this day that Zechariah won the privilege of burning incense, which is a big honor to any priest. And so as he's burning incense, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and stands at the right side of the altar of the incense. And then verse 12, And Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear fell upon him. So when Zechariah saw the angel of the Lord, he was terrified and in awe. What we need to remember here is that God has been silent for 400 years. So that means that there had been no prophets or angels at all in or around the Jewish people for 400 years. God has not spoken through anyone or any angel for 400 years. So seeing an angel of the Lord to Zechariah would have been as frightening as you and I having an angel come visit us. This would have been really shocking. But what makes it so special here is the last time that God spoke through a prophet Again, this was over 400 years ago. It was through the prophet Malachi. And what did Malachi's message, what was his message from the Lord? Well, in Malachi 3.1, he said 400 years before this moment, this is God speaking through Malachi, said, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger and he will prepare the way before, before me. He will prepare the way before me. So Malachi was talking about John the Baptist. And here's God breaking his 400 years of silence and his message to Zechariah is Malachi's prophecy will be fulfilled through him and his wife Elizabeth. So what joyous news is this? But again, Zechariah is terrified. Look at verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Well, what prayer? Well, it says, Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will call his name John. So he must have been praying for his son. And the angel of the Lord, who is the angel Gabriel, but how do we know this is Gabriel? Well, he'll tell us that in verse 19. And it makes sense that this is Gabriel because the angel Gabriel is an archangel like Michael, who's also mentioned in God's Word. And we see that Gabriel is always God's messenger angel to Israel. And we see that Michael is always God's warrior angel for Israel. And we can find Gabriel mentioned in the Old Testament. He's in the book of Daniel. He brings Daniel some prophecy. But here he comes to Zechariah as Zechariah is burning incense and tells him, do not be afraid because your prayer has been heard. You and your wife wife Elizabeth is going to have a baby, a baby boy, and you're going to call him by the name of John. And again, this is amazing because imagine God, he's breaking his 400 years of silence to send his mighty messenger angel Gabriel to tell Zechariah who's been praying he must have been praying this for a long time and because he's an old man he might have even given up on this prayer but he keeps praying it for a son but it says God has heard your prayer for a son and now it has been answered and because of this the angel says to Gabriel in verse 14 he says and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth Can you imagine praying for something for that long and you have nothing and you have nothing and you have nothing and you and your wife, you grow old, but then all of a sudden, having the Lord answer it. What joy and gladness and rejoicing. And did you notice that Gabriel said many will rejoice? Many, so not everyone, but many will because Zachariah's son will make way for someone much greater which is even more reason for rejoicing. His son John is going to make way ready for the Messiah. The long-awaited Messiah is coming. And then next in verse 15, Gabriel tells Zechariah, for he, that's his son John, will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will not drink any wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And our Lord Jesus will say this of John in Luke chapter 7 and verse 28. Luke 7, 28, our Lord will say this about John. He said, I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. And why was John so great? Well, that last part in verse 15. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. 
John walked in the Spirit of the Lord. John was Spirit-filled and controlled right from birth, even before birth. And because John was Spirit-filled, it says in verse 16, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. So if John will turn many of the sons of Israel back, that means they must have turned away from Yahweh. And again, notice he'll turn many, but not all. Many. And again, John is great because his ministry is to announce and introduce the Messiah, our Lord Jesus. And now look at verse 17. It says, And he, that's John, will go before him, that's before our Lord Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous and make ready the people prepared for the Lord. John is coming to announce the arrival of the Messiah But why does John need to come before our Lord Jesus? Well, because the way God planned it. It's the plan that was prophesied by God. And so, just like the prophet Elijah, who God used during an important time in Israel's history, he stood up against a wicked king and he brought revival to the land. God has planned it out that John was going to come before Jesus to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So, wow, that's a lot for Zechariah to take in. So not only has his prayer been answered, but it's an amazing answer to prayer. How blessed is he and Elizabeth? So how does Zechariah respond to all this? Well, look at verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this? For I am an old man, and and my wife is advanced in years. (laughs) Zechariah says, Hey, I'm in my 70s. My wife's not that young either. So can you give me a sign? Can you give me something to know that this is really going to happen? And remember, Zechariah is a priest. And he's not a young priest. He's been serving the Lord for a long time. But he says to the angel Gabriel, who's standing in front of him, Zechariah says, are you sure about this? Because really, really this seems impossible. So how does Gabriel answer him? Verse 19. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands before God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Gabriel says, are you kidding me? I'm Gabriel. I stand before God in heaven. I've come from the throne room of heaven with this message directly from God. Isn't that enough? (laughs) Really? So you need a sign too? So in verse 20 it says, and behold... And when we see the word behold, we need to look out. Because the word behold, it really means that we need to pay close attention to what's going to be said next. It's always important what comes after the word behold. And so, what does Gabriel tell Zechariah? He says, behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So with the angel Gabriel standing right in front of him, instead of looking to God by faith, Zechariah thought of himself and his wife and how old they are, and he decided that the birth of a son, it it just can't happen. It's impossible. And so he wants a sign so he can believe it. And God will give him a sign, a very personal sign, a sign that he's going to have to live with for the next nine months. So Zechariah was struck mute and maybe even deaf. He couldn't speak. He couldn't speak until what Gabriel told him would be fulfilled. And then we see verses 21 and 22. It says in verse 21, it says, And the the people were waiting for Zechariah and were wondering at his delay in the sanctuary. Remember, the priests worked in the temple and if they made any mistake or didn't do something the way Yahweh commanded them, they could be struck dead. And so when Zechariah didn't come out right away, All these people are worried. They're wondering, is he okay? Did something happen? But it says in verse 22, when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. And he he kept making signs to them and remained mute. They could tell just by looking at his face, something amazing must have just happened. And the fact that he can't talk proves it. And then verse 23, it says, and when it happened, when the days of his priestly service were fulfilled, he went back home. So his seven days of service in the temple were over. His shift ended and he goes back home to tell Elizabeth this amazing news. 
How he did it, I don't know. If he wrote it out, <laughs> signed it, we don't know. But he told her. And now look at verses 24 and 25. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, conceived. Remember, she's somewhere in her 60s and 70s. And just so people don't think that not only is she barren, she can't have children, but if she tells people that she's finally pregnant at this age, they're going to maybe think she's crazy as well. So what does she do? Well, it says she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my disgrace among men. So not being able to have children was a huge disgrace back in those days. People would look at at barren women and believe that God must be punishing them or they must have done something wrong. And Elizabeth, who is just this common married older woman, she's living up in the hills of Judea, and she's been barren for a long time. I'm sure she heard these whispers. But remember, she is righteous before God. And she was barren because God had a special plan for her. So what's, that's what's going on in Elizabeth's life. And now, how about Mary? How about her younger cousin Mary? What's, what's Mary been up to? Well, let's see what's going on in Mary's life at this time. Let's take a quick look at Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. Luke 1, starting at 26, it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. So here's the, here's the angel Gabriel again, sent by God with a message. And we see that Elizabeth is now six months pregnant. So about six months have passed since Gabriel appeared to Zechariah in the temple. And now we have the angel Gabriel is sent, it says in verse 27, to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name is Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So here we have Mary, who would have been somewhere around 13 to 15 years old. She's engaged to Joseph. She's living in Nazareth, which is a little village. So she's just a normal, common young girl who loves Yahweh and is living out her life. And then it says, verse 28, And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. It says, but Mary, in verse 29, but she was very perplexed at this statement and was was pondering what kind of greeting this was. So Mary's perplexed, she's puzzled, she's confused because this is a really strange greeting when she heard, favored one, the Lord is with you. In verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So again, notice the angel Gabriel, he uses the same pattern that he did with Zechariah. He says, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And this word favor here, it can be translated also as grace. And so what we can see here is really the first time grace is mentioned in the New Testament. And Gabriel goes on in verse 31. He says, and behold, and there's that word behold again. That means what's coming up next is very important. We need to pay close attention He says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And Jesus means Yahweh saves. In verse 32, And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and there will be no end of his kingdom. But Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? She literally says, how can this be because I haven't been intimate with my fiancé? I am a virgin. How is this possible? And notice the difference in her response compared to Zacharias. Remember, Zechariah asked for a sign to prove that this will happen. But Mary is asking, how can this be because I haven't been with a man? So Mary's asking in faith a simple, logical question. How can someone who's never been with a man, a virgin, have a baby? A virgin birth was so inconceivable to her because really it is impossible because it's a, it's a contradiction in terms, right? A virgin birth is like a, it's calling someone a married bachelor or a square circle. She's really asking, how is God going to do this? She's not doubting it will happen, but how will it happen? You see the difference there? 
Zechariah asked for a sign to prove if this will happen. If it will happen. Mary's asking, how will God make this happen? Mary's not doubting God. She just doesn't understand how, not the if. And notice the angel Gabriel doesn't rebuke her question. He answers her. He tells her how God will do this. Look at verse 35. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. So Mary, here's how God's going to do this. And then Gabriel also tells her in verse 36, And behold, and again, there's that word behold, so this is very important. Don't miss what I'm about to tell you. Behold, your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and this, is, and this is the sixth month for her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So here's the angel Gabriel who stands in heaven at the very throne of God. He stands in the very presence of the Lord, so he knows better than anyone that miracles are no problem for God because God, whose power knows no limits... He's not bound by the laws of nature that he created. He can accomplish anything that's consistent with his holy nature and his purposes. And Gabriel tells Mary that she'll conceive in her womb and bear a son and she'll name him Jesus. So we have one of the greatest miracles in all eternity. And it's just been relayed from God to Mary. And if that's not enough, Gabriel then adds another, another miracle to what God has done. That there's another miracle baby on the way. That her cousin Elizabeth, who's been barren her whole life, who's now in her 60s and 70s, is also with child. And so nothing's impossible with God. And so listen to these beautiful words from Mary. Verse 38, And then Mary said, Behold, the slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary says, Mary says, whatever God says, I accept. Even though it really puts her in a tight spot. Because she's betrothed to Joseph, and she faced that, that, that stigma of unwed motherhood. But we see her beautiful submission to the Lord. And so, that's, that's what's going on in, in the lives of these two pregnant women, these two miracle mothers. We have Elizabeth, who is older. She's married for many years. She's childless and barren. But now, she's six months pregnant. And we have Mary, who's younger, having never been married, and a virgin, and she's also with child. And so now, after all that background, we come to our section of the story that we'll look at, the humbleness of Christmas, and we're looking at the faith of Elizabeth and how Elizabeth's faith will encourage Mary's faith. So let's look again at verse 39. It says, Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to, to the city of Judea. Why did Mary go in a hurry to see her cousin Elizabeth? Well, because the angel Gabriel has told her that Elizabeth, who is in her old age, who couldn't have children, is now with child. Elizabeth is six months pregnant. And remember, she's in seclusion, so nobody knows she's with child. But now Mary knows. And because God told her. And because, in a way, Elizabeth became pregnant. The way she became pregnant the way she did, really, when you think about it, she's maybe the only other woman on the planet that can sort of understand what's happened to Mary. And Mary knows Elizabeth is, be, is with child, and so she makes, she makes a beeline. She hurries down to see her. And it says Elizabeth lived in the hill country of Judea, so that would be in the southern part of Israel. That's just south of Jerusalem. And Mary lived in Nazareth, which is in a small town in Galilee, which is in northern Israel. So it's about 70 miles between the two. But off she goes on this 70-mile journey to see Elizabeth. So that would be kind of like us walking from Gainesville to Leesburg, which is around 70 miles to the south of us. Leesburg is just a little north of Orlando. Remember, Mary would be around 13 to 15 years old, and did she travel alone or with some people? It doesn't say, but most likely she latched onto a group that were heading south, and she traveled with them. So Mary's in a hurry to see Elizabeth. Who is, who is living proof that nothing's impossible with God? And if we jump down to verse 56 of Luke chapter 1, it says, And Mary stayed with her for about three months and then returned to her home. So Mary was there with Elizabeth for about three months. 
And remember, Elizabeth was six months, six, six months pregnant when Mary makes it to Judea, Judea, and then she's nine months when, when Mary leaves and heads back to Nazareth. And also, it doesn't tell us when Mary's conception happened, but it, it must have already taken place at this time. So Mary's off. She's down to see Elizabeth. This three to four day journey. And then when she arrives in Judea, verse 40 says, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So Mary arrives, she enters Zechariah and Elizabeth's house and greets Elizabeth. And when it says greeted, <laughs> this isn't a simple like we do, hi, how you doing? Because a Middle Eastern greeting was a little more than that. It would be, it would be a kiss on the cheek and immediately then spending time together in conversation. And so the conversation was part of the greeting. And Mary and Elizabeth had a lot to talk about. And then verse 41. And it happened that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, that means right in the middle of this conversation, when Elizabeth's hearing that Mary is going to be the mother of the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, her baby leaped in her womb. So when little John heard Mary's voice, he leaped in Elizabeth's womb. Now here at Grace Bible Church, we had a year of baby mania. We've had five babies born here this year and hopefully more to come. And babies like to move around in their mother's womb. We saw a lot of that going around here. Babies moving and kicking in the womb. And I'm sure Elizabeth and Zachariah have experienced this as well. But here... This leap, this is different. This is something Elizabeth has not felt before. So here we have this little John who will be a prophet. And not only a prophet, but the greatest prophet that will ever live. Why? Because he will prepare the way for the Messiah. So here's this little prophet, John the Baptist, in his mother's womb. And he leaps to make way the ready for Messiah. <laughs> so here literally we have the first announcement that Messiah is here. This little baby, this little baby, remember, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he hears Mary's voice, he's filled with joy and he leaps. And so he can't speak, but he can jump. And he does. That's all he could do. He could only leap and he could only jump with a divine-inspired joy. And he's already doing his work of proclaiming the Messiah. And so Elizabeth knows, she understands that something special has happened here. And you know, what's interesting here in verse 41 is this word for baby is the same word used in Luke 2.16. It's after Jesus was born where it says, the baby lying in a manger. It's the same word. So what this tells us is to the Hebrews, there is no difference between a baby in the womb or after it's been born. They see a baby in the womb or outside the womb. They see them as babies. And so here we have these two women both chosen by the Lord for this special work. And what we see from both of them is this wonderful faith. So right during the greeting, John hears Mary's voice, and he leaps for joy, and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And being led by the Spirit, she understands what's going on. And then her faith encourages Mary's faith. And Mary, she does need some encouraging at this time, because if we... If we try to put ourselves in Mary's shoes, imagine Mary, she's, she's just spent three or four days traveling to see Elizabeth and the thoughts that, that must have been going on in her mind as she's walking. Here's this young lady of around 13 to 15 years of age. She's, she's just found out she's been chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. She's engaged to Joseph, but she's a virgin. So how can she explain to people What's happened? Will people even believe her? Or will they think she's lying? Or will they think she's crazy? Or will they even think she's this arrogant kid thinking that God would choose her among all women? And the only other woman who can remotely understand what's going on is Elizabeth. And here she is. She just arrives after this three to four day journey, 70 miles. <laughs> and as she's greeting Elizabeth, she gets this wonderful blessing Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and understands what's going on and she immediately believes Mary and her faith encourages her. These two blessed women 
who believe in the same God, the same Word of God, and they have this beautiful faith in God. And this is what I, hopefully our faith should do to one another. Hopefully this is what we can do here each week at Grace Bible Church. Each Lord's Day, we come to worship our Lord and our faith encourages each other. Our coming here Sunday and the fact that you believe, you believe in God's Word, it encourages me and the fact that I believe in God's Word should encourage you. So no matter what the world says, no matter what the skeptic says, no matter what the unbeliever at work says, no matter what the unbeliever at school says, even if we have people in our own family who mock us, it doesn't matter because we can come here and we can look at other believers who believe in the same God, who believe in the Word of God, and your faith encourages mine, hopefully mine encourages yours, because we have faith in God. And this is what Elizabeth is doing for Mary. Mary told Elizabeth what happened and she rejoices. And both of their faith is strengthened. So when Mary visits Elizabeth, Elizabeth will inspire her in these three ways. The first, Elizabeth's faith strengthens Mary's faith. And now second, the second way Elizabeth inspires Mary is Elizabeth's joy will fortify Mary's joy. In verse 42, we see Elizabeth's joy fortify Mary's joy. Look at verse 42. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So the Holy Spirit has revealed to Elizabeth what's going on, and she immediately begins, right away, she believes Mary, what Mary told her. We see this amazing faith, and notice what Elizabeth does here. She rejoices in the blessings of Mary, and think about this for a minute. Here's Elizabeth, who's in her later, later years, she's in her 60s and 70s, and she's been barren her whole life, but now she's carrying a miracle baby, a son that her and Zachariah have been praying for ever since they got married. I mean, she could have wanted to brag. She could have wanted to brag about this amazing story. She has a really, really amazing story to tell. And she could have wanted the spotlight all to herself. But what does she do? Well, she shows us an overlooked virtue of Christmas, this humility. We sometimes forget about the humility of Christmas. We all know the great parts of Christmas, that we know it's a time of love, a time of hope, a time of peace. But almost forgotten is humility, the humility of Christmas. In Philippians chapter 2 and verses 6 through 8, Paul said in about our Lord Jesus in Philippians 2, 6, 8. He said, Who, although existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So this baby that Mary is carrying is truly man and truly God, He's always existed. He never had a beginning, but he humbled himself and will be born in a simple manger. He's going to be unable to talk, walk, or feed himself. And he was born to die. And he didn't die for good people who were worth dying for. No, he came to die for people who were unworthy. Humility. The humility of Christmas. And here we see the humility of Elizabeth as she doesn't even talk about herself, but she rejoices with the words of Mary Elizabeth saying, look, I don't need the spotlight. It's wherever God is at work, I'm going to rejoice. She's full of joy for what God is doing and she'll celebrate it. And she cries out in a loud voice to Mary in verse 42, blessed are you among women. Again, when we think about everything that's happened to Mary, how is she going to tell Joseph that she hasn't been unfaithful? How will she explain to others that God has chose her to be the mother of Messiah? How will she explain to others that she hasn't been unfaithful? How is she going to work all this out? But here she hears these wonderful, this wonderful news from Elizabeth, who cried out with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women. A loud voice. She shouted with joy. And her, her joy increases Mary's joy. Elizabeth is so joyful about this, which is so beautiful again, because sometimes we can find it can be hard for us to find joy when it's someone else that's getting the blessing, isn't it? It's hard sometimes to rejoice when it's not us that's getting blessed. But here, this part of the Christmas story, Elizabeth shows us 
This is how it's to be done. I once heard Dr. Michael Stanton say this, and it's so true. We need to be like Elizabeth and rejoice whenever and wherever and however the Lord is at work. And that's what Elizabeth does. She says, Mary, you're the most blessed of all women. Why? Well, in the Hebrew culture, in the Jewish world, a woman's stature was based on her children. A woman's greatness was tied to the greatness of the children she bore. And so Mary, you're the most blessed because you are, you're having the greatest child that will ever be born. And Elizabeth's joy increases Mary's joy. And so as Mary travels to visit Elizabeth, she inspires her in these three ways. First, Elizabeth's faith and strengthens Mary's faith. Second, her joy fortifies Mary's joy. And now third, the third way Elizabeth inspires Mary is Mary's humbleness encourages Mary's humbleness. Verses 43 through 45. For humbleness will encourage Mary's humbleness. Look at verse 43. Elizabeth says, And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? So here's Elizabeth. Remember, she and Zechariah, they're righteous before God, and she's been barren her entire marriage, but now in her later years, she's with child. It's a, it's a miracle. It's a miraculously amazing baby. She has a baby boy growing inside her, not just any baby boy, but, but the greatest prophet that will ever live. This is such an amazing truth, but notice how Elizabeth, again, she doesn't even think about what she's got going on. But immediately she looks at Mary and she says, how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? She understands that her baby is going to be great, but Mary's will be greater. We get to see this humble woman, Elizabeth, who could have, again, easily wanted the spotlight to stay on her. She could have had the recognition to stay on her because, again, of her amazing story. But instead, she lifts up Mary. We see the older paying honor to the younger. Back in this time, it was usually the reverse. It was usually the younger who gives respect to the older. The humility of Christmas. Elizabeth shows us such a beautiful, humble heart. And again, humility is such a difficult thing because really we always want to keep the focus on ourselves. Especially when something amazing happens to us, we feel, finally, this is my time in the spotlight. It's so hard to not have that because sometimes, sometimes it doesn't happen to us. We're not the ones getting blessed. and We see someone else getting blessed and we, we sometimes want to ask that question, right? Why wasn't it me? Why didn't this happen to me? It's not fair. It's so hard for us not to focus on ourselves all the time. But here we have this amazing humility from Elizabeth, this humbleness. And when she says, how did I get so blessed to have the mother of my Lord come visit me? She knows that Mary's baby is the Messiah. And in this simple little statement, it's just just packed full of theology. Because we see from her statement that that our Lord Jesus is fully, He's fully man and fully God. He's He's a fully human male baby. Mary is His mother. She's carrying Him, but Elizabeth always calls Him, also calls Him my Lord. So He's also God. He's also, he's also God. But when Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and when it's revealed to her that it's, it's not only Mary's with child, but her baby is a long way to Messiah, and that's all she needs. He's fully man, fully God. That God has spoken and that's enough. And that encourages Mary. And again, hopefully this is what we do each week here at Grace Bible Church, that we all gather here on Sunday, we open God's Word, And when we do, what we're telling each other is is that His Word is true and that God has spoken and that's enough. We don't need any other gimmicks or or entertainment. We believe that God has spoken to us through His Holy Word and His Word is enough. And that's the truth that God's Word leads Elizabeth to say. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come and see me? Mary is the mother of her Lord. And before we go on, we need to understand that Mary, in the Bible, she is never called the mother of God. Not even one time. Because nobody is God's mother. God has always existed. God was never produced, never conceived, never born, was never generated. The eternal God has always existed, so God has no mother. Again, Mary will be the mother of the fully man Jesus. 
But she is not the mother of the fully God Jesus. So Mary is carrying a human physical child who in his inner person is God, who has always existed, the eternal God, the Son has lived from all eternity. And now look at what Elizabeth says in verse 44. She says, For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Here's how, here's how she knows Mary's with child, and that it's the Messiah. It was God who revealed to Elizabeth that when her baby leaped, this wasn't just the common motion of a child, but that God, the Holy Spirit, had moved on that little prophet and again made him leap with delight as a physical pronouncement that God has worked in her womb and would work in the womb of Mary as well. As soon as the sound of, the, of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And this word joy at the end here, it makes us think back to what the angel Gabriel said to Zechariah. Remember back in verse 14, talking about John, the angel said, and he will be a, a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. What a joyful time in these two women's lives. And wherever God is at work, there is joy. So we need to be more like Elizabeth. We need, we need to be more like her, that in humbleness we seek out the joy and in, 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 in however God uses us. And that can be in many ways. So we always need to be on the lookout for wherever and however and whoever God is blessing and find the joy in that and praise Him for it. And then Elizabeth says in verse 45, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Here we see this wonderful little prayer by Elizabeth. It's like a little prayer that Mary, this ordinary young woman, believed Mary trusted, and what happened to her was so amazing and such a blessing. But again, remember, it didn't make her life any easier. In fact, it makes it so much more difficult on many levels. Again, there's her fiancé Joseph, there's her family, her friends, will they believe her? Life is not going to get any easier for Mary. In fact, if we just look forward 33 years into the future, she's going to have to watch her baby grow up and go to the cross. And that wasn't easy. But she trusted God. And sometimes what God does through us, it is costly. And here we see Elizabeth. As she looks into Mary's eyes, she understands that this is not going to be easy for her. And so she says, Mary, you are blessed because God has kept His Word. Elizabeth, in humbleness and faith, says to Mary, you are blessed. And Mary was blessed, not just because of what God did to her, but because of how she responded. She was blessed because she believed. Remember, Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, what did he do when Gabriel told him? When he heard the message from the angel, he didn't believe. He asked for a sign. So he could believe, and he wasn't blessed. No, he was struck deaf and dumb. And here we have Elizabeth, who may have been looking right at Zechariah when she said to Mary, you're blessed because you believed. And this word blessed, it's, a, it's actually a different word from the word blessed in verse 42. The word blessed in verse 42 means, Mary, you are blessed. It's God's blessing on Mary. But in, in verse 45 here, the blessing is, how will others see you? How will others think of you? They will think of you as blessed. And to be blessed, it's more important to know who we belong to than the circumstances of our life. And Elizabeth and Mary understand this. And so we see Elizabeth's humility. Humility encourages Mary's humility. The humility of Christmas. Two pregnant women, two miracle mothers, and Mary who's trying to process all of this. She really needed some encouragement. And so she hurries to see Elizabeth. And Elizabeth inspires her in these three ways. Her faith strengthens her faith. Her joy fortifies her joy. And her humility encourages Mary's humility. And so as we conclude, as we, as we wrap this up, it's easy to overlook the humility of Christmas. But here we have two ordinary women, both chosen by God to be human instruments for the birth of two very, very important men. And when Mary hurries to see Elizabeth, again, Elizabeth could have demanded a spotlight. She could have wanted all of the, the tension on her or she could have been envious or jealous of Mary because Mary was a little bit more blessed than she was. 
But then, through the Holy Spirit, it's revealed to her that Mary is also with child, and not just any child, but the long-awaited Messiah, the Redeemer. And when Elizabeth's baby leaps in her womb, it shows her that her baby is already pointing us to Him. He's still in the womb, but John's already pointing us to Christ. And when Elizabeth understands what's going on, she immediately takes the spotlight off herself. She places it on Mary. She rejoices and celebrates with her. And if this sounds like something maybe you've heard before, it's because this is exactly in 30 years John the Baptist will do. When John comes on the scene and he begins preaching and preparing the way for the Messiah, and then when our Lord Jesus comes forward and he starts his public ministry and the people start leaving John and go listen to Jesus, and then when some of John's men come to John and they say to him, hey, we have a problem here. We're losing the crowds. They're all going to hear Jesus. What does John say to them? Well, John says, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. And that's exactly what John learned from his mother, Elizabeth. Who in humility, she rejoiced and celebrated with what God was doing with Mary. She is humble enough to also understand what God has done in Mary's life. And she lifts up the baby that she's carrying. And then we see John. He lives out his mother's humility when Jesus begins his public ministry. And so what we can learn from Elizabeth is, again, she shows us the confidence in the providence of God that no matter however, wherever, or whoever God chooses to bless, we can always find a reason to rejoice. And because Mary's humility, the fact that she does rejoice and celebrate with Mary, and she inspires, encourages Mary, but don't miss the fact Don't miss this fact that both Mary and Elizabeth are rejoicing because both know that they need a Savior. They both need a Savior just like we do. They need a Redeemer too. And now the Redeemer has come. And soon Mary will give birth to a Redeemer and her baby will 33 years from here carry all the sins on his shoulders when he goes willingly to the cross. And he'll carry both Elizabeth and Mary's sin and ours as well. Mary's baby will be born to die for our sin. Which shows us that Christmas and the cross, they're ever forever linked. They are linked together in the humbleness of Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful. We thank you so much for the truth that's in your word. Father, please help us to have the humbleness of Elizabeth to hear your word and to believe your word. And no matter, Lord, no matter however or wherever or whoever you you choose to bless, Father, we rejoice. We ask like John that in our lives we decrease and you increase. And Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.